0: Now, you may not know me. You may not know anything about me. But there's one thing that I can tell you that you need to know about me. And that is I have a son. And my son is the light of my life. He is the source of like every... Awesome thing that I get to do each and every day. My son is amazing. Okay? My son is awesome. He's intelligent. He's gorgeous. He is uh kind and generous. Uh he is a good child. He is a good boy. Now, if you don't know what this is like, let me tell you what it's like. It's awesome. All right. It is like the best thing ever to have an obedient, well behaved, good looking, intelligent child. And I'm sure you know what that's like, right? Because none of you are parents of teenagers. <laughs> my son is just amazing. Uh, like I said, he's obedient. Uh, he's good. He's a good boy. I, I really hit the lottery when it comes to having a well-behaved child. Um, so uh, it, it, when I was his age, I was much the same way. Now, uh, yeah, I know, I know. Hard to believe, right? Yeah, my parents are in the back row going, <laughs> you wish. Um, But, uh, when I was, no, when I was a kid, I was pretty well behaved. I was, I, and and let me tell you why. And I was a pretty obedient kid. I'll tell you why. It's because I wanted to please my parents. I wanted to please God. I wanted to do the right things. I wanted to please my teachers. I wanted to be a good student. So I got good grades because I wanted to, I wanted to please people. But I soon found out that pleasing people is not the best motivation for obedience it's just not trying to please people is probably one of the worst motivations for obedience because you'll never do it. And in fact, you'll end up disappointing people. And when you end up disappointing people, it devastates you. I speak from personal experience. And so as I got older, as I got into high school and as I got into college, I, I, I wasn't quite as obedient as I was. I wasn't quite as good as I was when I was a kid. In fact, I was pretty rebellious. I did things that, that I look back on and think, man, that was really boneheaded. That was not smart. And so I made a lot of bad choices. I made a lot of bad decisions when I got into high school and college. I wasn't as good. I wasn't as obedient. And it, it was a struggle. Obedience became a struggle. And I wanted to do the right things, but yet somehow I just, I kept missing the mark. I kept falling short. I kept disobeying when I meant to obey. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe that sounds familiar. Maybe for you, you look at your life and you say, you know what? I, 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 I know what you're talking about. I, I, too, struggle with obedience, or I struggle to be good, or I struggle to do the right things. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know that I'm supposed to be a good person. I know that I'm supposed to measure up to some kind of standard, and yet I feel so guilty Because I I don't measure up. And and, and I feel a a sense of shame sometimes. Because I I don't always make the right choices. Uh, Maybe as a parent or as a grandparent. Or maybe as an employee. uh, Maybe you've tried pleasing other people. Maybe you've tried to make other people proud of you. And yet you just seem to fail. And it leaves you with an empty feeling. It leaves you feeling ashamed. You may feel like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote a book called Romans. And this is what he said in Romans chapter 7. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Does any of this sound familiar? Does any of this resonate? I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. What a miserable person I am, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Sometimes I feel like a miserable person. Sometimes I feel like a wretched individual that I just can't do what is right. I feel like Paul. And maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you want to be obedient. Maybe you want to obey God or you want to obey the law. You want to obey your boss. Or maybe if you're a teenager, you want to obey your parents. But yet you still fall short and you don't know why. And I think it's because we have the wrong motivations when it comes to obedience. I think there's a better way to obey. And we're going to talk about that for a little while this morning. We're in the middle of a series called uh, I Love Jesus, Jesus Loves Me. And we're talking about how today we're talking about I love Jesus, so I obey him. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus loves me, so he died for me. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to start a new series called The Power of God in Your Life. And if you've ever wondered how you can get the power of God in your life to overcome sin and struggles and temptations and overcome difficulties and obstacles, that's what we're going to talk about starting on easter sunday morning but i want to look at a passage of scripture this morning where jesus is with his disciples his followers and they're in an upper room on the night before jesus is betrayed and in john chapter 13 it's it's where it starts he's he's talking to his disciples about some very disturbing things he's telling them that he is going to die now these are his very best friends And he's telling them that he is going to die. In fact, he tells them that one of his closest followers, one of his dearest friends, is going to betray him, is going to turn him over to the authorities who are going to crucify him and kill him. And then he says one of his very best friends, perhaps his best friend, Peter, says, Peter, you're going to deny knowing me three times. Now, could you imagine if your best friend, do you have a best friend? How many of you have a best friend? I have a best friend. He's up in the balcony. But I couldn't imagine if my best friend, if you came up to my best friend and said, uh, do you know Sean Cornett? And he said, nope, I have no idea who you're talking about. You'd be like, what are you talking? What? I saw you. You guys are hanging out at church all the time. Nope, I have no idea who you're talking about. Never met him before in my life. What? He was over at your house barbecuing steaks the other night, and we were, and it was good. But uh, nope, never met him, never seen him before, have no idea who you're talking about. I mean, it would be crazy, right? That's what Peter did to Jesus. They hung out for three and a half years, and yet Peter says, I don't know who you're talking about. This is very disturbing news to the disciples. They're very taken aback by it, and, and, and they're very disturbed by it. And they don't know what to do with it. And so they start asking Jesus questions. And that's kind of what you do. It's like, what are you talking about? Why, why are you saying these things? What do you mean you're going to die? What do you mean uh, What do you mean you're mean you going to go away? And that's what he told them. I'm going to go away. And they want to know, where are you going to go? And, and why can't we go with you? I mean, they had gone everywhere Jesus went for three and a half years. Everywhere he went, they, he went, they went with him. And now we can't go with you? Where are you going? And how? how... How do we get there? And Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when I go to the Father, if you want to get to the Father, you go through me. It's, I've heard it said that there are many roads that lead to heaven. Maybe you've heard that too. Maybe you've heard somebody say that. But you know, I don't think that that's accurate. I think many roads lead to God. And what I mean by that is many roads lead to God's judgment seat. Because we're all going to stand before God as our judge one day. And every road will lead to God's judgment seat, but only one road leads to heaven. And that is through Jesus Christ. And I know it sounds exclusivist, and I know it sounds politically incorrect, and I, I make no apologies for that because it is politically incorrect, but it's true that there's only one road that leads to heaven, and that is through Jesus. Through, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins that if you will put your faith in Him, if you will believe in Him, if you will repent from your sins, which basically means to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness, if you will confess your faith and you'll be baptized, like Connor's going to do this morning, if you will be baptized, God will wash away your sins. Past, present, and future, He will make you a brand new creation. He will make you brand new. And you have the promise of eternal life with Him. Now, let's get back to obedience for a minute. Uh, if you have a Bible... Or if you didn't, if you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the pew in front of you and turn to page 764. Or if you brought your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 14, page 764 in the pew Bible in front of you, or John chapter 14. We're going to look at four verses in John 14, and we're going to throw these up on the, on the screen for you as well. Uh, John fourteen fifteen says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And then in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. In verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And finally, in verse 24, he puts it in a negative way. He says, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Do you think that there might be a A connection between love and obedience. That somehow love and obedience are tied together. And I really believe this. I believe that the best motivation for obedience is love. The best motivation for obedience is love. That if I love my parents, I want to obey them. If I love uh, my parents. my boss, if I love my church, I'm going to obey Jesus by loving my church. That if I love my wife, I'm going to obey Jesus by, uh, by, by uh, if I love Jesus, I'm going to obey him by loving my wife. And we're going to talk about that for a little while this morning, what it means to, to love and obey Jesus. Now, uh, I want to put this in some practical terms, but before I do that, I want to, I want to talk about commands, and I want to talk about Uh, Jesus's commands Um, In first john chapter 5 Verses 3 through 5 John wrote Loving god means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome The greek word for burdensome literally means heavy That jesus's commands that god's commands are not heavy. They're not hard to carry. They're not hard to bear He says for every child of god defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, what does he mean that his commands are not burdensome? When I think about the commands of God and God's expectations of me, and I think about the Bible and all the rules that are in there, I did a Yahoo search. I went to yahoo.com and I typed in these words. Why do Christians have so many? You know what the next word that came up was? Rules. Rules. Why do Christians have so many rules? How many of you look at Christianity and and you think, or Christians, you think, man, that's a lot of rules. Nobody. Great. Sermon over. We're done. Fantastic. (laughs) Good night, everybody. No. A lot of people have the idea that Christianity is about following a bunch of rules. But you know what I think? I think that on, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night when he was in the upper room with his disciples, that he gave them one command. He gave them one rule. And it's found in John 13, 34. It's up on the screen for you. John 13, 34. says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. That the command that Jesus gave, he's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to leave them. He's, he's going to go into heaven once he dies on the cross and is resurrected on the third day. That he, is, uh, he gives them this command love one another. And then he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And his command is that we love one another, that his followers would love each other, that his followers would love one another in the church. And I think that this plays itself out in some very practical ways. Um, and, And I want to talk about those for just a few minutes. I want to address three different groups of people. I want to address teenagers. So if you're a teenager in this room, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute. If you are a, uh, a, a, a husband or a wife, I want to talk to you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to talk to you. So first, let me talk to teenagers for just a moment. Uh, we have a youth group here called Fuel. And our Fuel youth group meets on Sundays from 3 to 5. If you're a teenager and you don't have a youth group, you don't have a, people, a group of people you hang out with, I want to invite you, if you're in junior or senior high, to come check out Fuel this afternoon. Three o'clock here at the church building. They meet upstairs in a really cool room called the filling station. And uh, we want you to come check out Fuel. If you're in junior, senior high, you're welcome to come join Fuel. I got two, uh, our, our deacons over youth are Eddie and Debbie Barron. They're right over here. Uh, they got some youth sponsors who are really cool. And, and it would be great if you could, uh, if you would come check out Fuel. Now, if you are in Fuel, I have some words of, it, uh, of encouragement for you. That when it comes to loving Jesus... by by obeying him and doing what he commands, which is to love one another. If you're in youth group, if you're in the church as a teenager, you have a responsibility to obey Jesus by loving him, by loving other people. And that means you love the people in your youth group. That means when you go to school, you don't talk bad about your fellow youth group people. You don't talk bad about your fellow fuelsters. You don't put them down. You don't talk bad about other Christians at school. You don't cut them down or or make fun of them or ostracize them or have nothing to do with them. That if you're in youth group, then you need to love one another as Christ has commanded us to. But if you're like over the age of 16 and 17 and by judging by the looks of the crowd, there's a few of us here. I include myself in that. So what does it look like for us to love, to have a motivation of love for obedience? What does it look like for us to, to be motivated by love for obedience? It means that in the church, we need to love each other as Christ has commanded us. And because we love him, we're going to obey him. That he loved us first, and now we love each other. And that means that sometimes we've got to do some pretty difficult things in the church. It means we've got to serve each other. Because the first thing that Jesus did when he went into the upper room was he washed his disciples' feet. And what he did was, and, and that was the job of the lowest servant in the house, like the slave of the house would wash the dirty, stinky, mud-caked feet of guests. How many of you want that job? Oh, yeah, let me wash feet. <laughs> I'm not a big feet guy, all right? I'm just not a big feet guy. But, uh, but Jesus, after his disciples all kind of looking around at each other going, who's going to wash the feet? My feet are filthy. Who's going to wash my feet? Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of the world, eternal God, gets up. He wraps a towel around himself. He grabs a basin of water, and he washes his disciples' feet as an act of service and love. And and, and he sets us an example in the church that we need to love each other by serving each other. So we're going to love one another by serving each other. That means that if somebody has surgery, my wife has started a new meals ministry, that if somebody has surgery, then you need to talk to Shannon if you want to make a meal for someone. Because she'll coordinate the meals getting to people who've had surgery. She's been doing it for a few weeks now. It's going really well. And so talk to Shannon if you want to get involved by serving other people by making a meal for them. Or maybe someone who's hurting, someone whose heart is breaking, you could send a card to them. And just to encourage them and let them know that you're thinking of them. Let them know that you love them, that God loves them. And you could send a card to them. That's a very simple thing to do, but it's an act of service. It's an act of love. Here's the hard one. When it comes to being in the church, okay, we're all imperfect people. Our church is full of sinners. <gasps> it's absolutely true. We're all sinners. And what do sinners do? Sinners hurt people. We sin against one another. We sin against God. We, we bump up against one another. And, and so sometimes we've got to forgive each other in the church. And let me tell you, that's hard. When somebody hurts you, and someone cuts your heart, when someone rips you apart, someone gossips about you behind your back, when someone says mean things about you or says mean things to you, it can be really hard to forgive someone in the church. But yet we are called to love each other, and that means we are called to forgive each other. Because we obey God, we obey Jesus by loving one another. We show our love for Jesus and our motivation for obedience is our love for Jesus. And his command is that we would love each other. So we uh, forgive each other when we bump into one another, when we hurt hurt one another. We bear with one another from time to time. Because sometimes, you know, it's hard to put up with other people. But we're called to bear with each other. And we're called to encourage each other and strengthen each other. And most of all, to love each other in the church. And let me tell you what, let me brag on my church for a while, okay? Because this may be your first time here, you, maybe you've never been here before, or maybe you've never seen what we do on a Sunday morning. Uh, this is the closest thing to heaven that I'm going to get here on earth. Because I, our church family is a loving church family, and everybody's welcome here. It doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you've said, it doesn't matter uh, your past, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, it doesn't matter uh, where you live. Whether you're living high in the hog or underneath it, you're welcome here. You are welcome here. And you will find love, you will find acceptance, and most of all, you will find Jesus here. And that's, what, that's, that's my wish for you. Is that you would find that love and that acceptance and that, that, that love that comes from Christ. And you'll find it here. And so if you're searching for that, if you're, if you feel like something's missing in your life, and you're like, man, I just, I've tried everything, I've done drugs, I've done alcohol, uh, I've, I've had meaningless relationships, um, I, I've, uh, I'm just broken, and I feel miserable, and I don't know, I don't know where to turn. You're welcome here. We want you to know that. We want you I want you to know that there's a God who is crazy about you. And that there is a church that will love you and welcome you here. And you will be loved like you've never been loved before. It's because we love Jesus and Jesus loves us. So that's how we love one another in the church. But, you know, there's one more place, one more place that we need to love each other. And that is in our homes. And... and, my brothers and sisters, the people you share a house with, all right, if you're all believers, okay, you all come to church every Sunday, you put on your Sunday morning mask, everything's great in our house. Whereas, like 10 minutes before, you're in the car going, What is taking so long? Come on, we got to go worship Jesus, right? Right? I stole that from another comedian, from a Christian comedian, it's very funny. But anyway, um, I can't take credit for it, but it is funny. Um, Because it's so true, right? We get angry and we get frustrated and we yell at each other and we scream at each other. And then we come to church and we're all great. Everything's wonderful. Our, Our lives are awesome. But we know better. Just remember this. The people in your house with you, the people that you go to church with in your family, those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Husbands, your wife is your sister in Christ. You are part of a church family. Your wife is your sister in Christ. Treat her as a fellow Christian. Wives, your husband is your brother in Christ. Treat him as a fellow Christian. Obey Jesus in your home by doing what he calls us to do. So that means for husbands, Christ calls you to love your wives as as he loved the church. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you know what that means? It means you sacrifice everything for your wife. It means you lay down uh, whatever your desires are, your selfishness, your self-centeredness, your selfish desires. You lay those things down. And guys, am I, am I, is this easy? <laughs> They're all like, uh, yeah, no, I do that all the time. Sure you do, because I do too, right? Right. It means we lay down those selfish desires and we sacrifice them at the cross for our wives. But wives, he has a command for you too. That is to honor, respect, submit to the head of your household, your husband. But guys, that means you've got to be a guy. It means you've got to be a man. It means you've got to be a husband who is worthy of respect. It means you treat your family well. It means you love your kids. It means you love your wife sacrificially. That's how you obey Jesus in your household, by loving one another as, as Christ loves us. That's how we do that, guys. Ladies, honor your husbands, respect your husbands, because that is what Christ has called you to do. And when we uh, obey Jesus, we show him how much we love him. And here's the cool thing, all right? This is awesome. Let me, let me show you a verse. I'm going to put it back up on the screen here. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He will, we will make our home with him. When we love Jesus, imagine what this world would look like if we were to love Jesus by obeying him, knowing that he loved us first, we love him in response, and then God says, I love you too. Aren't those just like the four best words ever? I love you too. When I put my son down at night for bed, when I, when I tuck him in at night, and I say, I love you, son, and I hear those four words, I love you too. Well, five words, dad. I love you too, dad. When I call my dad on the phone just about every day, I say, I love you, dad. He says, I love you too, son. Imagine what it would be like to say to God, I love you, God, and to hear him say back, I love you too. When we obey Jesus, when we love him by obeying him, when our motivation for obedience is love, that's what it's all about. That's how we show our love for Christ, by obeying him. And he says, when you do what I tell you to do, when you obey my commands, I will love you too.